Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you for correcting my English with stinks. Hey folks, it's Pete with Starting Strength to talk about all the events we have coming up. So let's talk seminars. Next seminars are all going to be in Wichita Falls. February 5th through the 7th will be the first seminar of 2021. Then April 16th through the 18th. And then June 11th through the 13th has just been added to the list as well. And those are all in Wichita Falls. For lifting camps coming up, we'll be in Houston covering the deadlift and the power clean at Starting Strength Houston on January 16th. Then we have a self-sufficient lifter camp on January 9th in Wichita Falls where we cover the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film your lifts, and how to diagnose your own technique. For squat and deadlift camps coming up, we have January 31st in Miami, Florida with two spots left. And then we have a mix of strength lifting, USA weightlifting, and strongman meets in Omaha going on at Testify Strength and Conditioning March 13th all the way through June 26th. All of our starting strength gyms are open and operating where you can come in and train with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. We keep adding cities to the list and more to come. To find a location near you or to request a location or more information in general, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for any of the events that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday. Bree, what day is it? Friday. Friday. Checking to make sure. So here we are. We are here, and uh, I, I don't know what, you know, the only thing you can do about it is turn us off. If you don't like the fact that we're here, feel fucking free, Right? But I think you want to be here because you know that anytime we do a live call-in Q&A, that hilarity results and you learn some shit. So uh, we're going to, we, we always preface these couple of days in advance and invite you to call in. We give you the contact number and, and uh, all of that. And so we got some people on hold now waiting, but. And I think you'll agree that it's worth waiting for comments from the heaters. I think I had a little too much vocal fry on that. Hold on just a minute. Let's see if I can do a better job with that announcement. Comments from the heaters. Yeah, I like that one better. Let's start off with the most intelligent comment from the haters we've ever had. Carlos Carter says, Not that it matters much, but I am unsubscribing from this channel. Hey, Carlos is... It's very self-aware. Accidentally provided the most insightful look into our relationship with the haters that has yet been provided, right? All right, Patty Leather 
All right, Petty Leather says, this sounds awesome and delicious. He's referring, of course, to the Texas Chili um, podcast. That is our Texas Cafe Classics, Texas Chili episode. Uh, this sounds awesome and delicious, but unfortunately, I cannot see the video. Mark's pink, uh, Mark's pig-like pink sheen is blinding and obscures the video. Maybe you can fix it in post. Well, I thought we took care of that in post. Rusty, did you not fix that in post? Wasn't me. The pig-like. He wasn't pink. paying attention. He didn't know Pink what Sheen. He didn't, Rusty didn't know what the fuck you're talking about you're, right you're now. The one who, uh, who edited it. I mean, no, dumbass. I'm talking about the color, you know, correction and stuff. I didn't edit. He, this man said, "All right, let me read this again. Now pay attention. All right, this sounds awesome and delicious, but unfortunately, I cannot see the video. Mark's pig-like pink sheen is blinding and obscures the video." Maybe you can fix it in post-production. Post, he says. Because he's obviously an insider, and he thinks that, you know, since he knows what post-production means, and he just calls it post, post, that you'll, post, that you'll understand it, too. This is what the, yeah. How much? $100. How'd they do that? <laughs> well, I thought that little thing was in my ear. Yeah. Oh, when they, when they do that, it makes a little noise. Uh-huh. Oh, I've seen that on porn. <laughs> when you're doing, <laughs> when you're doing your when, live when shows. When you're doing your live shows. <laughs> when I did, yeah, that's what I. I thought that sounded familiar. <laughs> so, did you fix the pink, the pinkness? Was it in fact blinding? I, I don't know. I didn't edit that one. God damn, God damn it, you're Rusty! Trying to weasel out of yeah. it. Anyway, you can't. <laughs> Rusty, Rusty's innocent here. All right. All right, here's Ryan Hazlett. So this is really good. This is uh, from the clip, Running and Strength Training. Right? I don't understand why everyone follows him like a religion. What accomplishments does he have even in the world of weightlifting? He wrote a book. That is all. <laughs> He's right. He is right. <laughs> it's a very good question. I mean, that's what I've always said. I mean, why does anyone follow me like a religion? I hadn't actually noticed that happening. Because when people follow you like it's a religion, what happens? The ATF. I mean, what up. do I get out of it? Yeah. The ATF shows up and burns yeah. your building down. <laughs> the ATF, right? The ATF. They treat you like the Branch Davidians. Is that what happens when yeah. people follow you like a religion? Boy, that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Let's see. There's uh, a real stupid one. Yeah, thinks I'm an alcoholic. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I think it's three out of three criteria. And if you only have two out of three, then you're then not, you're an, not alcoholic, an alcoholic. Right. What are the three criteria? I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> it's well, got to be plausible. I mean, it's got to be. There's got to be a little list. It's got to be things. something about you know, like if you're a narcissist, there's like seven. Yeah, things that's right. That's right. There's got to be a list. You got five of them. You're a narcissist. Right. Same thing with an alcoholic. Yeah. 
I haven't robbed anyone for. Haven't robbed anyone. Haven't sucked alcohol. any penis for. Alcohol. Haven't sucked a cock for for a drink. Um, you know, the only times I've ever seen you drunk was when we had parties at your house. That's literally the only time I've ever seen you drunk. That's because you're only at, at my the house. house. <laughs> you have a party. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, here's another one concerned about. What's up with Rip's health? He has to rest his arms on anything nonstop. Am concerned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at the shake. How long can he hold it? <sighs> Just he maybe he's right. These guys. Oh, it's the back pain. You know. It's the back pain, I guess. All this leaning on stuff, you realize why I lean on shit. My back shit hurts. hurts. Shit hurts. Hey, Rip, when you, you know? turn that way, the volume drops real hard. I know. Okay. I know it does. That's your job to fix. In post. You're, you're in operating post. Post. In post. Right? Fix it in post. Yes, right? fix it in post. Just pot post. it up. Yeah. If, I, if I do this, yeah. what your job is now is to raise up the volume on your little knob, and then when I come back over here... And the volume return, then you turn it down. I learned this a long time ago in radio. Back when uh, I worked with Mark Wolf at K and I N. Is that the channel you were on? Yeah. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, it's in I N now. It it doesn't resemble anything. It's terrible. That it it's that awful. it did at the time. We were downtown on the fifth floor of the Hamilton building. It was amazing. So we had two turntables and records and disc jockey, you know, slip cue stuff, that sort of thing. Uh, it was fun. All right. Anyway. Uh, well, that's, and that's comments uh, from the heaters. Okay. Now. We are going to take the extraordinary step today of letting you direct the show. When we turn this thing over to amateurs, such as yourselves, uh, we're running a big risk here. We run a big risk. Right. We can fix some things in post. Right. But if you call in, and, and there are enough of you that are stupid, and you call in and ask stupid fucking questions, then, you know, it shortens the program, and things are just not, uh, you know, up to our normal high standards. But, you know, we really hadn't had that bad of luck with these call-in things, have we? Not I mean, at all. I mean, we've had two or three wine I'd prefer it if in, Simon but, didn't call this time. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to talk politics and argue with Let's me. Let's not and shit. do that. Even though, uh, so Simon, if you're on hold, hang up. All right? I'm not in the mood to, uh, things are too <laughs> stressful already without you, you know, telling me that I'm not as upset as you are. Because <laughs> that's what he does. He goes, like, there's no way. Yep, you're, you're, not a, you're not enough pissed off. Here, let's talk about some shit that is even worse than what you know about. And I, no. <laughs> no, I don't sleep well anyway. And, uh, you know, if I, 
you know, when I don't sleep well, it makes my nose itch. And then I'll yawn and shit, and it just looks bad on camera. So just, Simon, hang up. All right? Was he on there? He might have been on there. I have no idea. Well, we'll see what He's happens. waiting right now. We'll see what happens. You get a vacant spot, that was him. Yep. All right, well, so... This is uh, this is a, a you know a big risk we're running, but uh, the the reason we do it is it saves us having to do a bunch of show prep. So <laughs> we'll get a show out of it, and sometimes it's entertaining. It just relies on my native ability to turn bad into good. Because after all, that's what coaching is too, isn't it? Right? Yes. Now yes. that I, now that you now that you think about go. it, that's exactly what I do. And now we're relevant. All right, let's be relevant with caller number one. So there's going to be one ringy dingy in my ear, and then and then the caller. Usually, you say hello. I say hello. Yeah. Hello, thanks for calling. What's your name? Uh, my name is Grant. Grant. Hi, Grant. I'm I'm Mark. Hey, Mark. <laughs> what, Sorry, what, do you, what do you want to talk, Grant? What do you want to talk about today, man? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I understand that we prepare for physical performance with three things. You know, with with strength training, which is very general, with practice, which is which is extremely specific right. and then conditioning. And so my question, I don't know that conditioning is the third wheel here, but let's go ahead. Maybe your question will reveal the problem with that assumption. All right. So how specific should conditioning be to a given activity? Well, uh, conditioning in the general, uh, sense of the word means, uh, cardiovascular work at some level of intensity, right? Uh, let's take the example of, uh, of a weightlifting meet where there are six attempts on the platform. Uh, there, there's not really a conditioning component for that, is there? Because the cardiovascular adaptations do not control the outcome of any of those attempts. I mean, even if you follow yourself on uh, from second to third attempts, let's say you're real strong and you're operating at the at the top of the flight, um, you know you're you're going to have oh you know there's officially two minutes and then it takes them to you know minute minute and a half to fuck around to load the bar because they're trying to buy you some time so you've got three minutes between those two attempts. And three minutes does not represent a conditioning problem. Uh, three rep, uh, three attempts or three minutes represents uh, um, your attempt selection, right? <coughs> it, it attempts your it, it it reflects your ability to select correct attempts so that you can uh, accurately predict your ability to make the third attempt. Right. If you know you're going to follow yourself, and you typically do in these things, then you choose attempts that reflect the the right amount of time between uh, between those attempts for the 
because you want to make the third attempt. All right. You either want to make the third attempt or you made the second attempt and you don't need the third attempt. So it doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, so that's one extreme. The other extreme would be, uh, uh, running a marathon or you're so insane that you've decided to go run 26.2 miles and conditioning is the entire preparation effort for this thing. You know, there's some strategy involved and, you know, not stepping on somebody else's toes during one of your five minute miles, that sort of thing. Uh, and somewhere in the middle is everything else. So, uh, the classic example is soccer. Okay. Let's, let's, let's play a soccer game. Now, depending on your field position in soccer, if you're defenseman in the back by the goalie, you're not running around very much and your, uh, efforts back there are a series of anaerobic bursts, you know, many anaerobic bursts, little sprints to get to the ball. Right now, if you're a, if you're a forward halfbacks, whatever they call them now, you're running quite a bit more, right? So there's both of those require conditioning, but that conditioning is provided by practice because what is soccer practice? It's playing soccer, right? And so we conduct practice in a way that hopefully if it's conducted correctly, it provides the conditioning that is specific to the game. It's specific to the game because we're acquiring it during practice. Now, if you practice three days a week and you play a game on Saturday, that's four conditioning exposures that are specific to, not just to the game of soccer, but to your field position. So, in other words, a lot of the time, I'd say, a, a lot of the time conditioning for the event is provided by the practice component. So really there are only two components and that's training and practice. And the two factor model provides for both of these. If you just step back and understand what practice involves. Conditioning is part of the first factor training. Conditioning falls under training. Conditioning falls under training Sure, but it's provided for by the practice. You see what I mean? So really, this is this is grounded for me from. So I'm a I box. I'm a boxer, and I'm you know the the thing I I notice first. You know, strength is the strength is fine. You know, working through the program, mm-hmm. um, and I know how to practice, but I just get gassed. You know, very very quickly. So if it is it really just going to be a matter of doing well, it over and over and over yeah. until it becomes easier? How are how are you practicing? Are you running road road work? They used to call it in boxing. Those guys have been very reluctant to give up on jogging. I don't know how jogging provides for uh, uh, the conditioning that a three minute rounds would provide. And a three minute round is a is 50, 10 second round. So it's not really a three minute round. Right. So so think Again, about anaerobic bursts. So so look here's your here's your answer. You're familiar with uh, our book, Practical Programming, yes. Okay, so on the cover of that book, there's the graph that shows the performance curve and the law of diminishing returns and all that. So conditioning follows that same trajectory, even though that's, you know, that's about strength. But if you think of conditioning along that same path, when you are new at a sport, 
doing the sport will provide sufficient conditioning. As you do the sport more and more, and as you become better conditioned, conditioned, your conditioning will have to be more specific and individualized. So what that what that means in practical terms is as you get more efficient at boxing, as you get better skilled at boxing, the boxing provides a base level of conditioning, but if you need to push further ahead on that on that performance curve in terms of conditioning, you'll have to figure out a way to make the conditioning a, apply to boxing, not interfere with strength, and also be stressful enough to right. produce an adaptation. Right. Five-minute rounds instead of three. Hit the bag harder. Hit the bag in five-minute rounds. Hit the bag harder. And then, and, you know, if you need to do stuff outside of the sport, then you use the thing that's the most efficient and easiest and less than least taxing in terms of wear and tear on your joints, which would be something like a the, prowler, the prowler or, a, or an airdyne or something. Now, here's another important thing to keep in mind with respect to that uh, diminishing returns curve. Uh, that thing on the cover of the book is specific to strength training. And you'll see that that curve covers a very long period of time, years, right? Conditioning is different. The shape of the curve is the same, but the adaptation comes on much, much, much more quickly. It's a, it, it's not structural. It's a metabolic adaptation. In other words, we're changing the chemistry in the structures that are already there, right? It also goes away very, very quickly. All right. And this is why, uh, you're familiar with two days in high school football, right? Two weeks, they train you two days, and they beat the piss out of you. And amazingly enough, two weeks later, you're in pretty good shape because it's a conditioning stress, and conditioning is adapted to quickly. But it it you lose a conditioning adaptation very quickly as well. This is what is wrong with the military conditioning all year round all right it it comes on quickly you get to where you can run five miles in a fairly short period of time but continuing to run five miles once the adaptation has already set in is extremely counterproductive for strength training because it fixes it up so you can't recover from your strength training all right, this is what's wrong with CrossFit. It's the same thing. You can't get strong doing CrossFit because the con- constant emphasis on conditioning is a competing adaptation for strength. And everybody is aware of the fact that strength is more beneficial for the vast majority of tasks except for the 26.2 thing, right? So strength training needs to take priority. Conditioning is provided for typically for most sports by practicing the sport. There are exceptions to that and there are situations where a little more conditioning must be must be done but to, to answer rare. your original question rare. Uh, conditioning falls under training in that both of them are accumulated physiologic adaptations they are not skill but in the case of soccer and in most other sports tennis racquetball Fencing, boxing, boxing, the practice 
of the sport provides the conditioning aspect of the accumulation of physiologic adaptation. So we're still back to the two-factor model. It's not a three-factor model. When you're talking about uh, uh, sports, especially something, well, anything really, the Anything that's not uh, long distance running, the the strength and the conditioning part are are intertwined. So don't don't forget that it, you can't separate the two out. And what what I mean by that is as as you get stronger, because people think they're either working on conditioning or they're working on strength. As you get stronger, what happens to your ability to do conditioning? Whether you know it's it's doing the sport, hitting the heavy bag, or if you choose to do some other shit for conditioning. But what happens to your ability to hit the bag harder, to push the prowler harder? You're increasing. I don't know if you guys remember, like ten years ago, work capacity was a was the buzzword. But what happens to your ability to tax your system as you get stronger? As your deadlift goes from two to three to four to five hundred pounds, you can hit the bag harder, and therefore every bout of conditioning within your sport is more, is stressful. more stressful and you get better conditioned because of that. So mm-hmm. strength always takes priority. The sport is the, is the second is, is the, is the other thing that you're practicing in terms of the two factor. And then conditioning just comes along for the ride. If you find three years into your sport that your practice is not enough to get you, uh, where you're not gassed, you either need to get more efficient with your technique or you might need to add a little bit of stuff, but that's or that's, you or you might need to pay more attention to your pay more attention to your diet because a lot of that terminal endurance stuff has to do with what you ate that day, and that that can't be uh, emphasized enough. You if you go into a three hour football game having not prepared uh, your blood sugar levels to get you through the thing, you're fucking up, sure. man. Of course, you, you, you have to pay attention to all aspects of this, but if practice is being conducted correctly, generally speaking, practice provides the conditioning aspect of, of training. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now see how productive that was. That was a good one. Allowed us to flesh out our thinking on the two factor model which is a very important contribution that we have made to the literature. Isn't that interesting that we made that contribution? And, I didn't make and, that contribution. Uh, well, I don't know I'm, about we. I made it, but I mean, we, the Asgard <laughs> company, our little, our little community here, we made that contribution. What an ex-fizz school that made that contribution. Aside from... What an ex-fizz. No. Aside from the... Uh, Obvious things in the the book and the the moment model and all that the uh, two factor thing is mm. the most important thing we talk about. It is because it allows it applies you to everything. To, it applies to everything and it allows you to make accurate programming decisions. If you'll analyze the sport against the two factor model, it sorts it all out for you. It's uh, uh, it's incredibly important, and I don't think anybody's appreciated it uh, yet. But uh, Maybe one of these days. One of these days, it'll show up in an X Fizz text, and uh, it'll probably be credited to, you know, Kramer or Garhammer or somebody. Certainly not me. All right. All right. Next caller. Here we go. Here we go. Hello. 
Hey, Rip. This is uh, Michael from New York. How are you? Hi, Michael. What are you doing, man? Got a question. Got a question about that low bar back squat. Okay. Um, I've got a weird sort of situation where uh, when I descend towards the bottom, the left side of the bar, in, in just a subtle way, it twists forward in the transverse plane mm -hmm. just a little bit. Um, what can I do to correct that? Well, it that probably is coming out of your knee. You, you said it's the left side? Yeah. Well, what you do is you set up your video, and you you set the video up at about a about a 30-degree oblique shot from the left side, and you squat, and then you watch and see what your knee's doing. And what I will bet that you will find is that your left knee is dropping forward more than your right knee, and the bar is following that. And then, obviously, the correction would be fix the knee position. Okay, so I might need a little bit of a weight reduction. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that at all. No, I don't know that. You you may uh, get it fixed during the warm ups on the next workout. You may well be able to cure it if it's not severe. Now, little tiny amounts of bar uh, unlevel are really not as big a deal as you might think they would be. If there's uh, if a guy's got a fucked up shoulder. And the bar's riding a little low on or high on one side. It may be coming out of the shoulder, and the rest of the squat could be just fine. Uh, and you're you not know, concerned about spinal integrity? Well, I, I'm always concerned about spinal integrity. But if it's minimal, the spine, the human spine is not as delicate as everybody seems to think it is. All right? Uh, the human spine, uh, and mine can attest to this, is able to have the shit kicked out of it for many, many years and still, you know, function as a spine. Uh, human spine is, uh, you know, people we, we teach. Uh, we spend quite a bit of time teaching lumbar extension when you lift. But how many people have not gone into lumbar flexion on a third attempt deadlift and still managed to leave the platform without any significant degree of paralysis, right? I mean, it's just not, it's just not that, I mean, we know what we ought to do. We also understand that there's a certain amount of deviation that's tolerable. And if your knee is coming forward a little bit on the way down, I don't think you're going to, you know, I don't think you're going to paralyze yourself by continuing to squat like that. But by the same token, you need to correct it because perfect technique is the model that we assume and you need to work toward that. And I'm, I'm just telling you that the situation you described is probably coming out of your left knee. So look at that on the video, pay attention to what your knee is doing. And then the way to fix that is to make sure that the knee stays back. You may have to tell yourself to move your left knee back on, on the way down in the squat in order to achieve a correction, uh, that uh average the thing averages the knee out where it's not moving forward all right and that's that's commonly what we have to do but uh set your camera up take the video and and see for yourself if we're right thanks for the call
Okay. All right. Ready? Right into the Let's next Let's keep one. going, man. Just just plow through these things like a D9 bulldozer, a D10 bulldozer. It's a real big. Uh, t- the 10 is the big one? There's not a 10. Oh, okay. It's like a lead amplifier. Hello? Hello? I, I, I'm having a conversation with Nick here, and you're interrupting me. <laughs> we're, we're talk- just hang on. We're talking about bulldozers. You don't happen to know anything about heavy equipment, do you? No, I don't. Oh, well. See, I thought there Same here. I didn't know there was a D anything bulldozer. Yeah, they're all the, I just the, thought the there caterpillars was... are all D, you know, like a D6 is kind of a medium size. D9 is a great big giant ass bulldozer. Okay. And I'm just the fictional D10. There may be a D10. I don't you know. You don't know. But the last time you know you've... when we'll hear about it? We're in about 10 minutes. <laughs> one we'll hear about okay who's this there is a d11 uh, there is a d11 hang on oh hold on breaking news we breaking just found news, out there's a d11 there's a cat d11 it's the latest model they do make a d11 does that work on giant construct it's probably giant ass construction projects who knows feel the need to release a bigger dozer than that no so oh. if caterpillar is satisfied with the d11 who are we to ask for a D twelve. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so who's this? Now back to back to real time. This is this is uh, Devin. I got two quick questions for you. All right. Uh, the first is is Bree still working for you? Yeah, we still hadn't here. fired her yet. She's sitting here looking still at here. you. She's here. Say hello. Did you say your name was Dudley or Doug? De- Devin. 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 You fucked that up. Neither completely. one of them were right. <laughs> I just heard the D part. Devin says hello. All right, question number two. I was curious uh, at what point uh, in a trainee's uh, career do you suggest they specialize if that's something they wanted to do? So, you know, when did Chase decide he wanted to specialize in the press? Oh, How far along did he have to get before he did that? Well, you know, that is that kind of a decision is uh, always – saved for once the novice basic linear progression is over with people that are intermediate trainees have been training long enough to have developed their own opinions about which direction they'd like to take it. So, uh, you know, guys been trained in two months is not entitled to an opinion about that, but a guy's been training a year, year and a half knows what he wants to do. And it, after all, it's his training. So we, you know, we facilitated, uh, Chase's press uh, emphasis quite some time ago. Now, you, you don't get to a four-plate press within two or three years unless you weigh 450 pounds, all right? And if, you, if you're that much, then a four-plate press is just baseline strength. You know, it's still real strong, but but – at that kind of body weight, but Chess only weighed 242 the day he did that 405 in the meet. Uh, but he he's been training for that for quite some time, and uh, the press does take a, a quite a bit of special work. You know, you cannot emphasize the bench press if you're going to be a press specialist. You know, I, how often you get Chase 
benching once every two weeks. Oh, I don't. Like I don't that. work with him like that anymore. But uh, I think he still uh, he benches twice a week, probably. Still, does he twice? Yeah. I didn't know he was doing it that often. Uh, I had told for him, a long time he was benching once. I told him is once, that just a flat time. bench or do you incline yeah. or no? Nope. No, we don't do any inclines. Nobody here inclines. Unless yeah, the whole the whole time injury. we worked with Chase, it was all just presses and press variations and regular old flat bench. Mm-hmm. He never did anything else um, yeah, other know. than the. He didn't stray too far from the basic stuff. I mean, he he messed around with you know the little dumbbell shit here and there, and he'd get bored and go back to his regular barbell stuff. Uh, but we we don't use the incline because if you're doing the if you're if you're doing the press. And the bench press, why in the hell do you need an intermediate position? It's just it's a waste of time. So, uh, you know, we don't uh, – we've, we've never used the incline. But uh, pre- Chase is pressing four days a week now. You know, and if you're going to be a presser, you, you're going to have to press four days a week. Now, if you're going to specialize in the squat or deadlift, obviously maybe those things – because they're more fatiguing, can't be done four days a week? Yes. Or would you say it can be as long as volumes? That's that's correct. But everybody specializes in the squat and the deadlift. That's right. the better way to think about that. Yeah, there's no reason to quote-unquote specialize in those things because you need you to do them, them anyway, anyway regardless. You're doing them to their optimum ability to be trained anyway. And that doesn't represent a training specialization. That just represents right. a good program. Right. Yeah, usually the specialization thing is a result of, of competition and what you want to compete in, and that's, then the training is derives from that, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. One last quick one, if I may. All right. Power clean. I see that that uh, was retained uh, in the Texas method, and I think one of the heavy light media, maybe stars 5x5 five five when intermediate programming. Do you see that get cycled into uh, an advanced program, or is that a waste of time? What do you think? No, I think everybody needs clean if they can because it's the best way to approach light day pulling. You know, you you need to be you need to be doing something uh, explosive and athletic like that because it helps you work on your timing and you know some of the other aspects of athletic strength expression that just pulling the bar up to, to arm's length from the floor does not does not help you do. But a person uh, at that level is also power snatching as well. Then I think they're absolutely necessary. Now, should everybody do them? No. But if you can do them, you should. And the fact that your coach does not know how to coach them is your coach's fault, not yours. All right, people that just leave the, the power clean and the power snatch out of their programming are telling you, I don't know how to coach these two lifts. Find a better coach. Right, which is why I bought the book and figured it out myself. Excellent. You're a good man. Thank you for calling. Okay, let's see. We still got people on hold. We got eight. Man, this is fun. Let's do some more. Hi, who are you? Hello. Hi there. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, hope you had a good Christmas and happy New Year. What? Yeah, I, 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 you know, always do. What? What's your name? Uh, my name is Edwin. Elgin. I'm calling from Toronto, Canada. 
You're calling from Toronto, all right? Yes. Uh, I had a question. I'm like 42 years old, and uh, I'm doing the heavy, light, medium. Mm-hmm. And right now, for the deadlift, uh, I started to do the five sets of one rep. And the last time I did the fifth set, I really felt it, and I was kind of like shaking a bit off, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, only when I saw the video after, like I could see that I was shaking like a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question was like, I'm fine. Uh, after that, I was fine, and I continued with the training on Friday, Monday. Um, I was just wondering if that's okay, and uh, should I do the same like this week, uh, five sets of one again, or? Well, whatever your program calls for. The fact that you were shaking after a heavy deadlift is not particularly surprising and it's not terribly interesting. I mean, they're hard. And you just, you know, you know when things get physically difficult, they sometimes make you shake. What was your diet like that day? Had you missed a meal? Not really. Well, just, yeah, keep, just keep, don't be worried about that. You're training hard. That's, that's productive. But, you might want to re-examine what you had to eat that day and make damn sure that that doesn't become uh, the bottleneck for your for your high-intensity training, all right, because it can do that. You know, the fifth, the fifth rep of, of singles across is real hard. Then that probably means that the fourth, the first four reps used up more of your resources than you had intended for it to do. So I would, uh, you know, you might want to even take a little drink with you to the, to the workout and, uh, you know, take in some calories during that, during that, during that part of the training. See what, see if that doesn't help. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Bye. Happy year. There we go. There we go. Very He's Canadian. He's Canadian. Very polite. They're, they're just a polite people. Have you seen that? Oh, I didn't. The, shit. Sorry. You didn't. You're, you're taking a call. Oh, I'm taking a call. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, we can hang Hello, up Mark? on him. Hi. Yeah, I can. Hey. Talk to me. What? Wh- what's your name? Six years old. We need your name. Chris. We need your name. We don't do anonymous calls here. His name's Chris. He just told you Chris. Chris. Well, he he told me while I was talking over the top of it, <laughs> which is one of the things that I most often get complaints about. Right? <laughs> All right. So, Chris, you're 26 years old. Yes, I've been doing your program for two months. Mm-hmm. Gone a lot stronger. Yeah. Um, thank you. But so I I got my testosterone levels checked, and it was 427 nanograms per deciliter mm-hmm. i had some symptoms of kind of low testosterone mm-hmm. and i was wondering uh would you recommend that people with lower testosterone train more like an older individual or does it matter at all i don't think that it matters because you had one testosterone test right you only had it tested once you have to remember that any kind of blood chemistry test like that is a snapshot all right. It would, it's the same thing as me following you around with a camera 
and taking five pictures of you during the day that may or may not be a representative uh, a representative uh, sample the pictures I take may not be a representative sample of your day now that having been said testosterone levels in the blood are fairly stable in terms of the day you know you don't vary 200 uh, nanograms per deciliter across the the length of the day it just it doesn't work like that if you're at low fours and you're 26 i think what i would do is just continue to train um like i've been been training and in another month get it checked again and in another month get it checked again and if you don't like the trend or if the thing is stable in the low fours get somebody to to prescribe some trt because that is kind of low for a guy your age. All right. But by the same token, and we talk about this over and over, we, by the same token, the reference range in, in a testosterone uh, test is not necessarily indicative of what your response to that range is going to be. There are some people who are at your level in the low fours that are absolutely showing symptoms of hypogonadism. You know, they need more tests. And there are other people who operate just fine at 300. You know, so it, in other words, it varies. If you've got symptoms, then you treat the symptoms with more testosterone. And if you don't have symptoms, you don't worry about it. And because the reference range is not what doctors think it is, all right? Uh, doctors are, are unfortunately, in, in our system, are, are more trained than they are educated. And uh, they're, they're taught that this number means the following thing, and this number means the following thing. When it doesn't necessarily always mean the following thing. And, uh, but they're trying to see three patients every 30 minutes, or in some cases, 14 patients every 30 minutes. And they're not, you know, they're just, they're just going through there with a checklist and, you know, whatever you, wherever you happen to fall on the, on the spectrum, on the checklist is what they do. Right. And that's not, that's not good. I've gained, you know, I've put on about 150 pounds on my squat and deadlift and they're into the mid threes and close to fours. So yeah. I'm thinking maybe it doesn't really matter. It, it probably doesn't. A kid your age is not typically who we look to to need testosterone supplementation. You know, when you get to be 40, we'll have a different conversation about this. But if you're 26, you ought to be just fine. I mean, just fine, right? You ought to be training your ass off, eating 5,000 calories a day, getting strong, getting big, and plowing a swath through all of the females that you come in contact with. All right. I'm, I'm trying my best, Mark. I, I, I assume you are. And good luck on that, okay? Plowing a swath. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty busy on the, the last. Good, good, good for you. 
good for you. It's an important time in your life, and it might not might not last forever. So enjoy it while it does. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Okay. Well, I'm going to wait for you to good tell luck me. So far, I haven't yeah. had a troll yet. No, not yet. Not right. yet. Now she said it. Simon, fucking probably. Simon will be next. Yeah. All right. Do, well, do we hang up there. on Simon if he should, nope. if he calls. <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll what he's decided. Talking. Maybe he has a training question this time. Might or maybe be that he does. Guy. Maybe Could maybe be. he changed his mind. Could be. Could be. He wants to talk about something fun. Yeah. Instead of let's the talk end about, of the goddamn world. Let's talk about Milton Friedman or something. Yeah. Be great. Walter Williams. Walter Williams. Let's talk about Walter Williams. You know, we lost Walter Williams a couple of weeks ago. As if 2020 could get any shittier. Chuck Yeager and Walter Williams within within two weeks. Yep. Good God. We still have two more days. We still got two more <laughs> days. Tom more Soul days. may be dead this afternoon. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. All right. Let's see what happens here. Oh, we got a time delay on the end of this one. Oh, he was listening to the show. He was listening to the show, on, and there's a, like a five-second yeah. delay or something like that. All right. You there? Hello, sir. This is Aaron. Aaron, how are you, man? I'm doing all right, man. Hey, Good. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm doing the novice linear progression right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the blue and the gray book and the video of myself when I work out. I've noticed. Well, you're following all the rules, aren't you? I'm doing my best. I'm Good. doing my best. And so I've got a, a problem with my deadlift form. Uh, I run through the five steps and go through my checklist, but mm-hmm. I've noticed on the video that my, uh, my hips always have a tendency to drop before the pull, even when I think that they haven't. Right. And I'm wondering if there's uh, just a simple cue uh, besides keeping my ass up in the air, that that you could uh, you could let me in on, or anything you might, well, might have to say. You know, we see this every seminar. We'll have one or two people that do the same thing. Um, it is sometimes difficult to fix because you can't feel it. As you mentioned, it doesn't feel to you like that's what's going on. All right. Uh, now, what is happening when you do that? is your previous existence has been wrapped up in in the in your quads all right before you started doing our program you thought the squat was doing quads and everybody seems to be married to their quads and the reason people are married to their quads is because they can see them in the mirror all right and the stuff that you can see in the mirror is the most fun stuff to think about because you can see it Right, you pose your quads, and you get those the beautiful muscle separation in the front. Teardrop, you know, you got the teardrop glute medius on the inside, and the the broad sweep on the outside. The sweep, the outer sweep of the quad. (laughs) (laughs) And since you can't see your hamstrings, you don't even think about the damn things. Well, as it turns out, the hamstrings uh, are every bit is important in the squat and in the deadlift as the quads are. Now, what we do with our quads is we extend the knees. And when, when if you look at our method, you'll notice that the thing we tell you to think about 
is to push the floor away from the bar so that when, when you get set up in the correct position with your hips high, your shins are at a slight angle. It's the, the diagnostic angle of the shins is five to seven degrees. And it, you know, it's roughly the same angle as the, is the angle. The arms hang down from the shoulders at five to seven degrees. Arms don't hang vertically. And, and what we tell you to do when you, when you start the deadlift is to push the floor away from the bar with your feet. Now, what we don't tell you to do is to drop your ass, thereby increasing the shin angle and closing the knee angle more in order to push the bar away from the floor. Because that screws it up. And the way it screws it up is if you drop your ass, then the knee position goes forward. It has no choice because the femur pushes the knee forward. And if you've set up correctly, now the bar is not over the middle of your foot. It's forward. So you have to drag it back in in a curved bar path off the floor, which is inefficient. All right. So what... What we have to do in a situation when we find a guy like you, and we find this all the time, don't think you're, you know, uh, some kind of a mutant, you know, because uh, you're not. This is a this is a common problem, and uh, what we have to do is get you in to the get, get the idea into your head that you have to have your hips higher than you want them to be before you start pushing the floor higher than you want them to be. Now think about what I'm telling you. All right. You, you are lower in your hips because you want them to be lower. You're fighting with me on the piece of instruction that I'm giving you about where your hips are supposed to be. And if you put your hips higher than where you want them and then push the floor, that will correct the problem. But it's your perception that you need the hips lower than I'm telling you. And you just got to get it through your head that really I'm right about this. Uh, you, you need your ass up higher. You're not you calling me. Be. I'm calling you. Right, right. Yeah, you did call me, didn't you? All right. So what, what, you, what you do is, and here's a thing that sometimes will help with that with that, with that situation. If you get your hips into that position higher than you want them to be, and then you isometrically squeeze your hamstrings, just tight, tighten them up. They, now they ought to be tight. If your hips are higher, then it pulls distally on hamstring insertions behind your knee. If your hips are higher, that you want them to be, the hamstrings are already going to be tight. But if you will focus on the tightness of the hamstrings and then push the floor, nine times out of ten, this will fix that problem. I know exactly what you're talking about. We correct it all the goddamn time. So just get into the habit of, of making damn sure the bar is over the middle of the foot. In other words, one inch from your vertical shin. And then take your grip, lower the shins to the bar, and stop 
when the shins touch the bar. Stop lowering your hips. Your hips are never lower than that point. And what might also help is you put up, a, take your camera and set up a video and do it the way you've been doing it and, and identify visually what you're doing with your ass. And what you'll see is you're dropping your ass. And the fix for that is maybe you may have to think about raising your ass right before you pull. Because a lot of times these corrections, uh, you have to overcorrect to obtain an average, if you understand what I'm talking about. So try that and see if that doesn't help. It works for us. at the. It takes me about three reps to correct this at the seminar. All right? It wouldn't hurt you to come to the seminar, too, because we need the money. All right? As soon as all this madness is over with, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm out there to Wichita Falls. I'm coming out there to do you a ass- seminar with you. I can't wait. You assume this madness is going to be over with. I wish I shared your optimism. <laughs> I think you just got to come. Faith. Anyway. It's faith brother oh we know we know we know man all right thanks for your call we'll we'll do it thanks okay this is this is fucked up nick why nothing's been wrong so far i was thinking the exact thing we haven't we've been all right the, the last uh, few times we the did the comments this. are pretty good. I'm enjoying the comment section. Some, the comment section is great. Oh, the comment section that's running right now. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of getting Alex Jones to do starting strength. That'd be great. Get him on the podcast. That'd be fun. Wouldn't that be fun to talk so to that fun. crazy bastard? I love that man so much. You know, <laughs> he is so fucking crazy. Oh yeah. That everybody misses the parts he's right about. Yeah. yeah. He was on Joe Rogan that one time saying some pretty outlandish shit, and they were fact-checking it, and all of it was true. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they were fact-checking it as it was going. Doesn't he live down there in Austin? He's in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So Rogan and Jones are in Austin. Oh, you know that they are getting ripped every night. (laughs) We got to get our executive producer to try to get Alex Jones up here. Oh, that'd be great. Alex Jones isn't coming to Wichita Falls. Why would Alex Jones, why would anybody that's been on Rogan want to come up here and do this? Rather talk to you than Joe Rogan, yeah. I'm sure. I'd like to talk to Alex Berenson because he's all over this shit with masks and all this. But hell, he's already been on Rogan. What you know? Why does he have time for me? You know, maybe because he'll go wherever he's invited. That and nobody. Rogan's I don't know wherever I'm invited. Somebody invites me to go to L.A. You're unusual. You know what I'm going to tell him? You're unusual. You know, no. Dirt, Dirt McGirt answered the question. For this last guy, yeah, about ten minutes at the beginning of your ten-minute spiel, there he said, "Push your stupid feet <laughs> as if you are shoving the earth away from your body. You're welcome." <laughs> your stupid feet. <laughs> but we hadn't got anybody talking about a D12 yet. No, not yet. No, they don't know. Man, I'd like to have a D12. Wouldn't that be fun to just tear shit up? Well, you could take a D12. And you could fix Minneapolis. Just level it. Yeah. Right. Washington, D.C., man. D.C. Be a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Governor's Mansion. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well. Somehow we so get, get me somebody to talk to. Somehow we keep getting more callers. Look at these people. Excited. 
You're talking about momentum, aren't you? Yeah. Hello. 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 Hi. This is, is this the first female? We've, you are a female, This correct? is the first one. This is the first female we've ever had call in to the, to the Q&A. What an honor. Well, I'm so, I'm so excited to be the first to, uh, to call in. So um, well, my family and I, we listen and watch your show all of the time. Well, and we're I happy have you some called. questions for you. We're happy you called, dear. What is your name? My name is Kim. Kim, right? Kim, yes. And I'm from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, my question is, um, I'm 48 years old. Okay. And I've been listening for about almost two years. Um, my husband is a strength coach, and uh, he's been involved in sports. My kids do weightlifting, too. But I have a really different circumstance than anybody that okay. I've known, and we we um, I'm just curious what your what your thought is. Before I guess I'd say about 20 years ago, I lifted heavy. Um, I did a lot of lifting, and then 13 years ago, um, I had a diagnosis of cancer, so I had breast cancer, and I had mm-hmm. a bunch of reconstruction surgeries. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a latis- my latissimus dorsi muscle is. Um, was detached from the back and then moved to the front to help with um, just the reconstruction. So it's really affecting my lifting. Um, yes. I'm deadlifting about 150 pounds, um, and I can do I can do reps with that 150. Um, but it when I when I do that, I drift on the side that I've had the surgery. I'm also doing overhead squats, and so when I do the overhead squats, I drift a little. Yeah. And I can feel it like um, when I do other exercises. So I'm wondering if you've ever worked with anybody that had, um, you know, something like this. I don't know how far I can go with it. Um, I'm I'm working hard. I want to get stronger. Um, but it, it's affecting what I'm doing. And I've talked to several people about it. And nobody really seems to know, you know, how far I can go or how to work around that. Because it's such a big muscle. And right. I know you use it in a lot of things. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I tell you, uh, I've, I've heard of that type of reconstruction surgery being done. Where do they put it? Uh, I, I they, they take the lat and, uh, move the thing, uh, move the lat insertion over to the chest wall. Is that correct? Hmm. That's how they did it. So, in other words, they removed the lat function against the humerus. Right. So, uh, and I don't know why they do that. I really don't. I have no idea why they would want to make that drastic a change in functional anatomy because the lat controls the humeral position. I mean, it's a scapular retract. Is it an aesthetic thing, you think, to make it look like a... it's a shoulder extensor. Right, but do they do that to make it look like a... Peck is still there. I, I guess they do. Yeah. I don't. I don't actually know. What What was the what, what What did it tell you when you had that done? Why they were doing it? Well, it's it's mainly to help support um, because when you have the you know the surgery, and I had a lot of bad surgery, so we're talking like non surgeries. So they probably took your peck minor, and they did they take your peck too? 
So the PEC, the PEC minor. Those, I think the implant is inserted up under that muscle, and the latissimus right. is there to help support that because right. when you have those kinds of surgeries, there's a lot of other damage done. Sure. I wish I would have never done it, to be honest with you, because right. it limits what I can do. Um, right. But, yeah, it, yeah, I, I think it's more of a support because that the skin is, is thin and you're holding an implant, you know, after right. removing a lot of other, you know, tissues right. and things like that. Well, I, without having uh, actually seen the rearrangement of the of the tissue, I can't really – envision exactly what's going on but i do know that if your lat insertion on the humerus which is anterior uh proximal humerus is gone then that shoulder extension function that the lat provides is extremely compromised and you're going to have a hard time deadlifting and there's not going to be anything you can do about it um, it, yeah, and I just, that's just all there is to it. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there that the lat, that, that the lat takes care of, uh, overhead squats going to be in the same, that whole posterior muscle mass controls all kinds of things. And if the, uh, if, if that is all gone, then that level of control is not possible. I have, uh, on my right scapula, I have ruptured my infraspinatus and my teres major. And no, my teres minor are, were ruptured a couple of years ago. There's just, I can't do a dumbbell bench press anymore. I can't do it with 40 pounds because I can't control the position of the dumbbell. So I can't do that exercise. And I think probably deadlifts are going to be one of these things that you're just going to have to go up. And if you can control 150 pounds, then that's just where your deadlift is. Cause you can't, you can't risk getting hurt. You know, you, you don't, I mean, you're 48, you're not a child anymore. And things don't heal as fast as they used to. Um, but if, I mean, if 150 is what you can handle, then that's what you handle. But I mean, the, the you have to just face the fact that the lat has got an important structural role to play in a pull. And if you don't have it, then you can't do the pull. And I, I hate to, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but I mean, that's just the way shit is, you know? No, that's what I, that's what I figured. Um, yep. I just was curious, you know, how, how far could I really go? I don't know, dear. And I, I, yeah, I, I, don't um, know. I drift a little, but I don't feel any like warning signs. And I, I and, wondered if, and you might not until you tweak your back, you might not feel a warning sign until you tweak your back, you know, but if that thing is drifting forward and it will drift forward because the lat's not there to hold it back. And you get off balance and that side gets way out in front of you and you hurt your low back because of that rotation, then you're, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to necessarily know ahead of time what's going to happen. Now, let me ask you this. Have you, 
have you played with supinating that hen? Yes, I have. And pronating that hen. Which way works best? Yes. Yes, what? I have tried it both ways. And which way do you like best? Best. Um, my natural inclination is to go under with that hand. But mm-hmm. I believe when I turn it over, it does better. I have a little more control over it. Okay. And I really concentrate a lot when I do it. I will um, take time in between, you know, my, my reps. And I really focus and I, I will watch um, and my, my family will watch too to see how it, how it drifts. And there yeah. are times I can control it really well at 150 so, right. I, you know, I don't know if it's even worth trying to go up and wait or not. I don't know that it is either, but uh, Rip, five pounds isn't going to hurt. Rip, you know? can I uh, make a controversial, not even a suggestion, but open the discussion? All right. Do you think sumo deadlift would actually benefit her since she's not having to hold the bar back with her lats? It might, you know, because of the more steep, more vertical back angle. It's sumo might be something you can try, but... I mean, we're trying to get a training effect out of the deadlift, and if we move the training, remove the training effect by cheating it with the sumo, I mean, what the hell is the point? You know? Yeah. Well, uh, if, I, if I see what you're saying, and I, I agree that it's it's less trouble to hold the bar back in the sumo yeah. than it is in a conventional. I mean, if that's because the, the more vertical back angle, get up to a two hundred. If deadlift. that's if you want to take the deadlift up to a two hundred, you might want to try. Um, a sumo don't go too wide. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, there's several things you can try and the, the pronation supination approach and the shifting over to a sumo or some options that you can try and you may be able to get the thing up to two Oh five doing it like that. But if you can't, don't worry about it. Your squats are okay. And your presses are probably okay. You're benching. You're benching all right, right? I am. You probably are having some symmetry issues on the bench press because the, of what the lat does, you know, on that on that side. But you just don't don't actively seek to use a big arch, and I think you'll be okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I seem to have no trouble with bench, and I really, at first, when I started lifting again, thought bench would be something I couldn't do, but I, I have more issues with the deadlift than I do sure. with bench. Um, sure. And even the uh, even when I do a, a, a squat, um, I will notice just pulling my shoulders back to hold the bar in place so mm-hmm. if I do a low bar squat. Um, I, I will feel a little bit of a difference. Like I can't hold my hands on the bar exactly where I want to, like mm-hmm. close in. They have to be out a little more, right? Because it will make it will just pull it a little bit, right? You're you're having to do your shoulder extension in that position. You're having to maintain your shoulder extension with your posterior delts, whereas normally the lats would be contributing to that, and you don't have a lat on that side. Essentially, your lats gone on that side. And that's just what you. That's the way you have to treat it. Uh, well, I, I hope those suggestions help. Uh, I think that uh, uh, your concern about uh, doing more weight 
is a laudable concern, but under your circumstances, I you know, I you're gonna fuck around and and rotate something that you don't want rotated. So just be careful with that. I mean, you're alive and you lived through that surgery and all this other shit's behind you and there's just you know, uh you know, that's that's quite a quite a deal and don't uh don't compromise your 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 back health by trying to push that deadlift when it's just not pushable. Okay. Thanks for calling, hun. All right. Ready for another one? Yeah, let's go. Hey, momentum, as we say. Hello. Hey, how are you, Red? Well, are you in the car? I am. I'm actually an overroad truck driver. All right, what's your name? My name is Derek. Derek. All right, Derek. Let's hear it. Sure. So, uh, a couple months back, I tried to find a new line of work because of, you know, the pandemic or whatever. And so I got an overall truck. Uh, followed your program for the past five years uh, pretty religiously. Had some good lifts. Uh, but as you can imagine, being the overroad truck driver, you know, trying to make ends meet. Uh, I, I can't barbell train every week. I can't even barbell train every three weeks. So what would your advice be to somebody who can't train every week or even bi-weekly? Well, just train when you can. There's no way to, there's no way to train with barbells without barbells. And it's just one of these, you know, number line arithmetic things that you can't do anything about, you know. If you're asking me if I think you ought to do CrossFit and throw rocks and swing kettlebells, no, that's not strength training. If what you want to do is strength training, then you're going to have to train with barbells. If you want to do conditioning, then there's ways to do conditioning out of the out of the truck. But uh, there's not any way to do strength training without barbells. Kettlebells are not strength training. Anything you can do for 10 minutes is not a strength stress. So, uh, I mean, if you're just trying to stay in some kind of shape, then... Uh, you can do that, but uh, if you are really committed to getting strong, uh, for some people that requires more sacrifice than others. I mean, if you if you're you know you just need a better job. So uh, yeah, <laughs> and you seem to know that. So there you have it. Man, when I was in Reno, there was a there was a truck driver uh, on my way to work, and I don't know where he was stopped, but where he was going. But I'd see him about every other week. <clears throat> and he'd be pulled on the side of the road with a bunch of, with a bench and a bunch of dumbbells on the side of the road <laughs> on the, getting on the jacked shoulder of the road yeah and then uh yeah I, I, is there enough room in your truck for equipment i mean a, a a set of squat stands and a bar yeah yeah i thought about that and um i've i've been doing some some thoughts on that but you know as of now I, i'm just kind of like getting into it I, I i have the kettlebells and stuff just to maintain some sort of you know anti-love handle policy but when i was uh working in the oil field i was on two weeks off and um on two weeks on two weeks off and uh you're it suffers i mean you're not yeah. you're not going to get stronger doing it you might be able to maintain but um it you you just can't train properly it just doesn't work yeah it, unfortunately we can't uh shove this model 
of strength training into every mold we want it to fit into. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I just wanted to hear from you guys that I'm at so well, so. Well, you already knew it, so good luck with your job hunt. Here. All right. Thank All you, right. gentlemen. Another one? Yeah. Two more? One more? Let's do two more. Eight more? Let's what? do two, two more. more. All right. Why not? Two more. Two more. That's right. So you're number one of two more. Who are you, just out of curiosity? I'm honored to be one or two more. My name's Jeff. I'm great. Thanks, yes. Jeff. Cool. Um, I wanted to know, if I were to enter a strength meet, um, how would I go about and when, if at all, would I start to differ from my NLP to start practicing um, max lifts? Because I know you've referenced the press as a skill. Um, that you need to train in order to perform heavy. If you are a novice, if you're a novice, a novice I'm a novice, 12 months removed from my first workout. Um, so I've been following it. Well, by, by novice, I mean, are you still going up in weight on all your lifts every week? I am. Then you don't do anything except go to the meet on Saturday and lifting the meat instead of doing Friday's workout. That's all you do. There's no taper for a novice because you're getting strong every workout anyway. How did you manage to drag your novice progression out 12 months? Well, I was question. 150 pounds when I started, um, so I had a lot of ceiling to, to gain. What are you weighing now? Uh, I weigh about 225. Oh, hell, that's pretty good. You actually did the fucking program. Like most people won't do. How old are you? I'm 23. Well, if I were you, what I would do. This is a fine young man. You're a a model citizen. If I were you, I would just enter the meet and go to the meet and don't do a taper because you don't need a taper. You just need another PR. And instead of a PR set of five, it'll be a PR single. So you're going to go in. And, uh, your first attempt will be something that whatever would, he did last would, workout would be the five yep. work sets you did on the last workout. That'd be your first attempt. And your second attempt will be, uh, a little more weight. And your third attempt will be a little more weight. And you do that on all three lifts. And obviously, the press, those attempts will be closer together in terms of the number of pounds on the bar than the squat and the deadlift. But this is the, your first meet is a learning experience. You are going to get beat. You're going to get beat. All right? You want to get beat the first time because you don't learn anything by winning, really. Well, sometimes you do. But, <laughs> but, uh, that's how you do it. You, you don't make any special preparations for a meet until you've been training a couple of years. And at that point, you'll know what to do because you'll have been varying your training loads over the course of the week. And you'll understand what a taper looks like just from having fooled around with intermediate level training. But right now you just send in your entry fee, show up and, Try to make nine attempts. Where do you live? 
Uh, I live just south of Houston. Oh, so you'll come to one of our meets then. You need to come to one of our meets. We'll show you what to do. Oh, yeah. That's where I'm coming. And before you go, uh, when is Scott Davidson coming back on the show? I could listen to that guy talk about B-52s and shit for days. Well, let me ask you. Let's see if he's got something else he wants to talk about. Uh, He's got a lot of stories. We might just have to have him back that on. That was one of my favorite episodes. Everybody said that. Everybody that said that's one of their episodes, favorite yeah. episodes. This is why I tried to get him to write a book for us a long time ago. Because guys just like to hear about this kind of shit. You know? Just what we do. So, let me ask him see what he says. Thanks for the suggestion. Alright, man. Thanks. Alright? This is going to be the bad call. You think? This has got to be the bad call. Man, we've had high quality people today. High quality. Well, the ringy dingy's over with, so the guy must be there. Hello. What's your name? Yeah, hi. <laughs> Thank you for taking my call. Should I just ask my question? No, you should tell me your name. Oh, sorry. It's Patrick. Patrick. All right, Patrick. Now tell me your question. Okay, here's my question. It's two questions if you let me ask them. If not, it's fine. Oh, what the hell. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, The first one is, uh, so I'm curious. I've always been curious. So if a guy is, like, kind of short, but, uh, you know, he he, he can bench press a certain amount, you know? Is this Andy Baker? (laughs) Right. This isn't Andy Baker. This is... Patrick, not Andy, right? Okay. Right, right. And you got a guy who's taller, but at the same strength level. Yeah. Isn't the taller guy actually stronger? Because, like, in a bench press, he's extending farther with his arm and squats. Right. You know, he's got longer legs, so he's actually going down farther. So isn't it actually a, uh, a taller guy? At the same level as a shorter guy, is that you know is, is actually stronger? No, that's my first question. No, no, that's that's a misunderstanding uh, of what strength is. What is strength? Do you know? Uh, you, I don't know. You, to be able to pu- pu- push big crap around, I don't know. No, no, no. Have you read our books? I have it. Uh, I have a really bad problem with uh, ADHD, so but uh, I've had it for like a couple of years now. But uh, I'm trying to get through it. I, li- I listen to your videos all the time. You've had ADHD for two years. I think maybe you were. I think maybe you've had ADHD a long time, and you just weren't paying any attention to it before. No, 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 no. Sir. I mean, I had your book. Uh, that oh, was, oh, oh! You I, had I, the I just, book for two. <laughs> all right, all right. Here's the deal. All right, here's the deal. Strength is the ability to generate force against an external resistance. Production of force against an external resistance is the application of strength. All right. Who is stronger, a man that deadlifts 400 or a man that deadlifts 500? Uh, 500. Doesn't matter how tall he is? I guess not. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty simple, isn't it? All right. Does it matter that the guy that deadlifted 800 weighs 198 and the guy that lifted 900 weighs 275? No. No. No, it doesn't. Who's stronger? 
The guy that got the 900 deadlift is stronger than the 800 deadlift. This is not complicated. The guy, yeah, but the guy that's taller has to go down farther, doesn't it? doesn't make any difference. doesn't make the fact that it's harder for him to do it does not mean that he's actually stronger. I mean, do you know how hard it is for me to resist temptation? <laughs> Man, it's hard to resist temptation. But the fact that I resist temptation either gets done or not, right? All right. So. Two guys. Two, let me. Two guys went to work. One guy really didn't want to go to work, and the other guy did want to go to work. Did they go to work or not? Uh, you know, it's just did the thing happen or did it not? Right. <clears throat> you know, well, and this is not a philosophical problem. This is just a math problem. So don't make a philosophy problem out of a math problem. The guy that produced more force is the guy that's stronger. And it doesn't matter how tall he is. Right? Tall guys got long arms. The difference in the in the range of motion in a deadlift between a short guy and a tall guy may not be but two or three inches. But it, it doesn't make any difference. If you can deadlift more weight, then you're stronger than the guy that deadlifts less weight. And it doesn't matter whether you're blonde or redheaded or in a bad mood or in a good mood or tall or skinny or fat or short. It doesn't make any difference. It's the empirical truth of the matter is that the guy that lifts the heaviest weight is stronger than the guy that lifts the lighter weight. Now, don't let weight classes in competition confuse you, all right? Weight classes are just so people will enter the meet. <laughs> That's the only reason we have weight classes. Because if the big, tall guy is going to beat the short, little guy every time, why would the short, little guy enter the meet? Well, he wouldn't, right? He wouldn't. So the way we get him to enter the meet is we have weight classes. But that doesn't say anything about who's stronger and who's not. Now, there is a there's a, a an award called the Best Lifter Award that attempts to use a formula to award what we call the Best Lifter Award to the guy who lifts the most weight at the lightest body weight. But that is an artificial construct. It doesn't reflect anything except one more way to get you to enter the meet. Right? So whoever deadlifts more weight is stronger than the guy who deadlifts less weight. And that's just all there is to it. And all the other shit is window dressing. All right? I know this is not satisfying. It is, however, the math. All right? Now, question number two. Uh, okay, and it, and it goes into that in the weight. Uh, so, uh, so I, so I know I love your show, Rip. But I know you hate fat people. <laughs> hey, I don't hate fat people. I got Nick in the same room with me. What do you mean? Rip's fat himself. What are you talking about? I'm fat and pink. It's like saying I hate pink people. Really fat people, like morbidly obese. Like morbidly obese, wildly fat motherfuckers that have to lean back when they walk. <laughs> You've seen those kind of people that have to lean back because their panis is a 300-pound affair, that sort of thing. Fuck. Yeah, I don't like that. It makes his own 
like a guy that makes his own gravy in the summer, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? right, right. Oh, That's how he maintains body weight. Right, and I was, and I was, I know that because I was reading one. It's a common thing. A lot of people hate fat. It's good to hate fat people because it, you know, it, 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 it maybe it'll help, you know, keep, you know. Well, it's. I think it's good to hate. You know, <laughs> strong emotion is good. I hate <laughs> stupid people. That's. I'm I'm less concerned about fat people than I am stupid people. Stupid people cost us all way more money than fat people do. All right? Fat people, we can see them coming, and we can avoid them. But stupid people look just like everybody else, and you can't get away from them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mitch McConnell is a perfect example. There, there you go. <laughs> you can avoid Mitch McConnell. Governor Abbott. Coming. Governor, Governor Abbott. Governor Abbott looks like a normal guy. You know? <laughs> but then you wait for him to do things, and you realize, these guys are stupid. <laughs> Either that or they're just evil, and they're hiding behind stupidity. Now, that's a possibility. Possible, yeah. That's a possibility. What's the question, Patrick? So, anyway, Patrick, <laughs> fat people. All right. It's just, it, yeah, and I just, because I read, uh, like, it's years old, but, like, a thing on a forum you said. So that's how I knew that you had this loathing for fat people, which is good. <laughs> uh, but, but, but here's my question. All right. Here's my question. Uh, here, here's my question. So, if a guy is morbidly obese, Right, right. Morbidly obese. Now we're talking a BMI of like seventy eight. <laughs> right, right, right. He's got a like a way more fat reserves on him than he needs. Like right. literally, like you guys know about the Scottish guy that stopped eating for a year, and he was like morbidly obese, and then by the end of it, he was like one eighty. No, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> no, that was, that was like a study. It was a, a, a thing done in like the eighties, and it was all like uh, documented and everything. So. My question is, if you got a morbidly obese guy who starts doing a program and he starts powerlifting, right? right? But he's eating at a caloric deficit. But before, he was eating, like, enough to feed, like, a family of, like, you know, five Nigerians. Right. And, and now... Nigerians don't eat that much. You, you, you're talking about a f five New Jerseyans. Fat Nigerians. <laughs> right. Fat Nigerians. You got all right, all right. I don't know. Fat okay. Nigerians. Got it. And and he's eating like, you know, but then he goes to now he's eating at a deficit, uh, and he's powerlifting. Is uh, my question is is isn't he gonna still build muscle because he's still eating yeah. enough to build muscle and lose weight because he's so he's surrounded by right. food. Yes, yeah, he's he's awash in food already, essentially. All right, so and we talk about this in the article called a clarification, and I know you've read that because. You know, you're obviously a literate man. And the 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 situation where you got a guy that's starting off training and he's already a fat pile of shit. All right. All right. Fat pile of shit can make the same kind of progress on a caloric deficit than little skinny fucker can because of the fact that he will remain in an anabolic state, even in a caloric intake deficit, because he's already got a caloric surplus surrounding him under his clothes. Right? Yeah. So you know, a guy that's that that's in a situation like that, guys starts the program and he's three seventy five, right? And he's only squatting one fifteen. 
Well, this guy, all he needs to do is maintain protein intake. And if he maintains a, a decent protein intake, he's going to make real good progress and increase muscle mass and increase strength, even as his body composition improves. Now, this doesn't happen very often. And the reason it doesn't happen very often, because a guy that lacks the self-discipline to keep himself, to have kept himself from getting to 375, is not typically the guy who suddenly starts a, a program requiring discipline and training. All right, so we don't see it happen that often. But in the hypothetical situation that it did happen, guy starts off, fat bastard starts off training, and and he is eating 200, 250 grams of protein a day and, and salad. Well, he's he's going to do just fine because he'll his caloric surplus will be contributed to him from his fat stores. So there you have it. Okay. All right. Now, can he get those that protein from like powders, or does it have to be meat? He can, he can get it from anywhere he wants it. He can get it from whey protein or tuna or roast beef or proteins. Protein. You know, protein. protein. <clears throat> as long as it's from animals. As long as it's animal protein and not pea protein. You don't get it from a company that sells things to vegans because those companies are immoral because they're contributing to eating disorders all over the world. Yeah. Got it. All right, man. Thanks for your call. I got to go pee, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, man, I hope Patrick calls next time. That was that fantastic. Was a, that was a fabulous call. The comment section loves Patrick. Oh, Patrick's great. <laughs> Patrick's all He's right. like, I, I have ADHD, and then he demonstrated it to us. <laughs> yes. I love that. Keep send, talking, hey, Patrick. Don't let them <laughs> shut you down. <laughs> Patrick, send us your email. We'll get you a shirt. God, I love Send that guy. Patrick a shirt. That'll be Bree's job. Bree hadn't been fired yet, so one of her last official acts will be to send Patrick a shirt before we fire her. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening today. And we'll see you, hopefully, in the future at some point. Uh, next time we have one of these little call-in wing dings, uh, we'll see you again and uh, hope you... Uh, We'll have decent questions like we had today. And uh, as always, it'll be Friday. Next Friday, Starting Strength Radio. Ta-ta. <laughs>